What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and all the places you need your music to be. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in-store 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor fastest payouts they help out with automatic splits cover song clearance and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases i dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians bands studio artists DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home, and they also offer label services as well. They've got three different tiers to offer creators that start as low as $22.99 a year. That's just $1.92 per month, and even their top tier breaks down to only $7.50 per month. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper for you check out the link in the episode notes i also put it in my instagram bio in the link tree click that link and it'll give you 30 percent off your first year of service super stoked to have distro kids sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their longtime support of this thing let's start the episode What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast, and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. Tell a friend about the podcast. Give it five stars if you're listening on Spotify. Check out the monthly playlists that have been dropping every first of the month. Those are available on Spotify and Apple. And uh, the September one is there now. Links for those are in the episode notes. I'm recording this intro from just outside of Chicago, Illinois, about to kick off tour with High Pulp. We just drove three days halfway across the country. I am stoked to be out here. I am kicking off the tour with a Cubs day game tomorrow. I'm so pumped to go to Wrigley Field. It's going to be so rad and uh, just so cool when you're out on tour and things like that work out. I'm, I'm a huge Cubs fan and rarely ever get to go to Wrigley Field. So it's uh, 
very cool to be able to hit the game before the show and i'm sure in these next few weeks you will hear me rambling about uh this tour either in specific episodes or or just at the top of uh episodes such as this one very cool to finally have gotten to sit down with portland-based music producer multi-instrumentalist and songwriter ryan oxford i feel like this one was a long time coming I've known Ryan's name since around the time that I got involved in the Portland music scene in 2016, but it hasn't been until this last year or so that I've had the opportunity to get to know him and get some insight on his process. Ryan has been producing some of my favorite music that has come out of Portland in the last couple of years and many of the guests that I've had on in the past year, including Alex Croson, Saroon, a.k.a. All and junior bloomer are all records that have come out of ryan's studio as of late which was a really sweet timing to have ryan on this week because those saroon and junior bloomer episodes are the two most recent episodes in the catalog so this is uh three straight weeks of ryan oxford connected things his studio in portland oregon is called the center for sound light and color it's a beautiful space and it is where we recorded this podcast right there in his control room around all of his gear and gadgets and uh i thought this was such a rad chat and just helped me as a fan of his connect a lot of dots within his recording process and just his philosophy for making records which if you enjoy this chat or ryan's ideas behind making records or some of the clips shared of tracks he's worked on hit him up if you're interested in creating project with him all the links for ryan and his studio will be in the episode notes And he also made a Spotify playlist for me to share as well. So the link for that will be in the episode notes if you'd like some more reference for what that dude does. So big thanks to Ryan for jumping on the mics and giving me some of his time. Dude is a a fucking sweetheart. And just listening to him geek out about making records made me want to make a record or just dive deeper into the process of uh, capturing the, the feel of something. Made me want to make a record and and just dive deeper into the process. Made me want to make a record and and just uh, made me want to dive deeper into capturing a a feel. So big thanks to Ryan for giving me some of his time. Dude is a fucking sweetheart and just listening to him geek out about making records made me want to dive deeper into the catalog of stuff that he has worked on. So... I hope you enjoy this chat. Ryan put out this great record called Fa 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 Fire in 2017. And we talk about that record a bit in this chat. And also, hopefully, he will forgive me for consistently calling it Fa Fa Fired. I'm just missing a fa every time. So I'm I'm so sorry, Ryan. And I'm stoked to hear more of the music you're working on. And to kick off episode 376 with Ryan Oxford, we are going to play the title track from that Fa 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 Fired album. Let's do the damn thing. Fire, I'm a f-f-f-fire. 
like started recording. Nice. No, I don't. Like, I have to like a professional in front of you, yeah. in front of the professional <laughs> recording engineer. You know, it's intimidating. I think you're doing great. Don't <laughs> worry. Thank you. I'll listen to it. Do I look good? Yeah. <laughs> no one else can see me. That's the important part. All right, man. You ready to? You ready to do it, Ryan? Yeah. I'm All right. Ready. I'm excited to uh, to chat with you after we've been chatting for like an hour. We're gonna do the yeah. thing where we just like freeze up and. I'm ready to freeze. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, um, as we were talking about in there, I feel like. Uh, most of the the records that I really enjoy these last couple of years have been coming out of this studio and Thanks, uh, you've had your hands on a lot of the stuff that I've just like been listening to Thanks, for so long, which is uh, kind of a cool way to come to what you do, I guess, because I wasn't like super familiar with like any of your, your music mm-hmm. that you were making, yeah. like I I guess I like started getting more involved in the music scene probably like right around the time that you put out that yeah. Fafa Fired mm-hmm. record. Yeah. Back in 2017. So it's been kind of cool to like get to know your your like style through other people's music and yeah. their records that you've yeah. made with them and then kind of go back to that record and kind of like put together some of the pieces right of like, oh, this is Ryan's like style. And yeah. like it definitely, I don't know. It's, it's to me, it's like, you can clearly hear your, like your Ryan Oxford lens or filter mm-hmm. yeah. through the records that you make for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like my prefer- preferred, I don't know, preferred method, <laughs> preferred <Yeah>. art form. <laughs> I but, mean, I like making my own stuff too, but that's definitely, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't really my plan to like start recording and producing so much, yeah. you know, it kind of, it did like after that record came out, which I like before that, like I didn't know anybody in Portland. Like, I, I mean, I was here for almost five years and I don't think I ever played a sh- I mean, maybe one or two shows or something. But then, like, I met, like, the Mom Bird crew, and I had that record, like, I was, I'd been working on it, and but without any plans to, like, have a release or something, I, I wasn't really, like, gung-ho on finishing it. And then we kind of started talking, and I was like, okay, cool. And I think I actually, like, re-recorded the whole thing. I was like, okay, now this is the record. Okay. But then, like, after that, it was, yeah, a lot of things just started happening. You but know. you weren't like too active before that. Like I was you were not, just kind of like yeah. I mean, I was making always, music on your own. Yeah. We had like we'd gotten this. Like I made that was like one of the first things I did here. So okay. we, me and my friend Arjun um, had gotten this space, and I was doing some other stuff. You know, I was doing like kind of getting into like film music, and you know, trying to like I was like very gung ho about trying to like make a living in music, and like the avenue at first was more like oh like licensing or commercial stuff or doing that kind of thing. Yeah. But then like once the, that record came out, um, a couple things happened. I mean, getting to know like, the Momber people was super helpful because it was like immediately I was just like in a scene. I was like part of a scene. I was like, okay. Yeah. A nice and, way to connect to some people. They totally. Yeah. And then like a couple months later, <clears throat> well, I'd done the score for this, this movie for this director, um, MP Cunningham. And, a couple months after the record came out, 
that this film got into Treefort Film Festival. And Vincent from Mama Bird was, was going out there and he was like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure. I have a, a pass. Cause I'm, I'm the only person that was involved in the film that was around to go to the festival. Okay. So, so I went out there first time going to tree Fort, and just like that weekend, honestly, like sort of was like set the tone for my, the next like four or five years of my life. Cause like I, I went out there and like, I went to, I can't remember. I think I saw Nick Delft's play. It was kind of when I first met him and, and saw him play. And that's when I met Luz. And then, and like the whole Ilabama thing, I think really kind of changed everything for yeah. me. And like, and we kind of, we met and then on her way home, the weirdest thing happened on her way home. The people she was with were playing my record and she was like, who is oh, this? Wow. And it was like, Oh, it's that guy you met. And it's like, Oh, okay. So maybe a couple of weeks after that, I was like, started to talk to that band. And then, yeah. And then, you know, we did touring and we did the first Cee La Pamba record that I was involved with. And then from there it was like, okay, I started to get a lot of production engineering work. For sure. And I was just like, well, yeah, I wasn't really planning on doing it. Like I was, I want to do like film music and all that, but it was like, that stuff was just hard, hard to get into. And like, yeah. I don't know, all of a sudden it was just, yeah, people started showing up for, for the other stuff. So yeah. And for people that don't know, Tree Fort is this music festival in Boise. Uh, was that kind of like your first experience then, like a like an indie sort of festival like that as well? And just kind of being like thrown in with a, a bunch of artists around you and seeing like a ton of different music? I think so. I think like, I think most of my, it's kind of embarrassing, but I think most of my festival experience before that was like, Ozfest or Warp Tour? It's not embarrassing, okay. Ryan. Lean in. Let's go. Lean I've been to it. some yeah. Warp Tours. Yeah. I've been to a few. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, I think I think so. Unless I'm forgetting, like, and then yeah, from there though, it was like you know that whole s summer after that tree fort. You know, I went to tons of festivals, playing them. You know, yeah. I've never been one to like. I don't really like festivals, but I will. If I'm playing, when you're playing them or when you're like different vibe, it's a different vibe <laughs> when you can like, when there's like a lounge and like catering and stuff, it's like, okay, that's what I want to do. But I don't want to just like go camp and yeah. do drugs and, and watch bands. It'll know? kind of fuck up your, your future festival experience once you get to like go as an artist or like yeah. as press, like we were talking about totally. that just a like, lot this weekend when yeah. we were at ThingFest. It's just like, yeah, once you experience a festival like this, you're not going to want to do it the the other way yeah. yeah it's like there's no way you know i mean maybe i would depending but yeah yeah but yeah so what was uh let's dial it back okay. to like early yeah. childhood you grew up in rural uh, ohio mm -hmm. so what was like the closest uh major city to you i'm like cleveland okay cleveland was like an hour north and what was uh like the vibe of the the childhood as far as music like was there a lot of music being played in in your house like your parents were fans of music and yeah were... my parents are big music people i mean they're like you know hippies so um yeah so a lot of i mean my dad played guitar a little bit like and then my grandma my mom's mom's side was pretty musical um the italian side but yeah so we're not a lot like my dad had a few guitars 
but he was always listening. You know, he had a huge record collection, so you know, kind of all this stuff you would think. You okay. Know, David Bowie, The Beatles, America, Bread, Humble Pie, like all these kind of like he did kind of like this like kind of seventies folky, folk rock. You know, Tom Petty. Uh, yeah. So there was always stuff happening. Yeah. Did you seem to like that? The, the stuff your parents were into or like your dad's I, record collection, even from an early age, there I was did. a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, my first like favorite music though, that I remember when I was really little were like these boots are made for walking and, uh, faith by George Michaels. Which <laughs> both those songs I would sing and dance. I can't, um, I'm, I'm rewatching arrested development right now. Yeah. So just hearing the name George Michael is yeah. like, all I can see is Michael Sarah, right? <laughs> totally. now, the yeah. banana stand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like I, yeah, I, I definitely liked my dad's music for the most part. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think what else like, stood out. That, that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of the usual stuff. You was, know? was there like gravitation towards wanting to mess with his guitar or like any instruments in the house mm -hmm. like that you gravitated to pretty early on? Yeah, definitely guitar. Like he had an acoustic guitar that like he didn't play that much, but I started noodling around and then like my sister, my oldest sister, Eva, her like high school boyfriend who is like our neighbor he was like a cool like old he's musician. the guy yeah, uh, he like, was yeah he was a cool he, he's a good guitar player and stuff <laughs> and like he was like the cool like okay so i kind of like i really liked him and i don't know i think sometime around then like i i was like okay i want to start taking lessons and then you know lucked out and got like a great you know great guitar teacher that you know and that was good that was like so it was like, yeah, these boots were made for walking, George Michael Faith. And then like when I started to get, I guess it was like maybe fifth or sixth grade, fourth, fifth or sixth grade, like started getting into like, well, I liked like R&B. I liked, I loved TLC. Yeah, and you got that record over totally. there. I remember you showed me that last yeah. time. You're like, this yeah. is a huge record for me as a kid. Yeah, that was like one of my first like, whoa, I think this is like one of my, like, I think Waterfalls is like my favorite song. I think like <laughs> yeah. Creep is like one of my favorite songs. Watching the, you know, the, the TRL countdown every day uh, totally. and shit like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then there's other stuff too. Like I liked like Salt and Pepper and I liked, you know, Missy Elliott and like, but then like started to get into guitar and was like, okay, now it's like, oh, it's like, what's Metallica sound like? What's like yeah, Guns N' Roses, you know? <laughs> I remember um, last time we were at Doug Fur and you were fucking around like playing like Enter Sandman on the guitar and I was like, yeah. It's so funny. I can still, like that was my, when I first started playing, I was like, I'm going to learn every Metallica song. And I had like all the books and I did learn a lot. I can still play so many of them from memory, even though I can't remember like songs I wrote last year. Yeah. But I'll always remember like, nothing else matters or something. <laughs> you can always play some nothing else matters in the green room totally else fails. yeah <laughs> it's a beautiful song um that was my first like favorite band was yeah. metallica this is like such like i don't know they made me want to play music and like seeing it on that level it was always like totally you never saw metallica playing in the club it was always these like huge arenas yeah. or like i don't know if you've ever seen the uh the outdoor footage of them playing in like a festival in Russia and it's oh, like yeah. a sea of people yeah. and it's just oh, yeah, man. absolutely insane. Yeah, dude. So <laughs> I know. So insane. It's hard. It's hard not to like that band at a certain age. I still like, honestly, like I'm, 
a lot of stuff I'm listening to now is kind of like that era of music. Yeah. Like some of it's pretty funny, I think. Like Metallica is pretty funny. Like especially yeah. later Metallica. Like early stuff, I'm like. Like Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets is pretty incredible. Those records are crazy. Yeah, they're in, they're incredible. They're just genius. And but then it's I think from there it starts to get funny because like the '90s everything was just funny. Yeah. Like like especially male singers in the '90s are like. It's funny, you know. I listen to Stone Temple Pilots or something. I know every single word, every single vocal inflection. Yeah, <laughs> I can't stand the band, but it's like, well, maybe that's strong, <laughs> but it's like it's fun to listen to. But like, it is, it's kind of hilarious. So the '90s got funny, and I think that's kind of, you know, as I got like progressed a little bit, you know, you know, started to get into some other yeah. stuff, you know. So it was like fourth or fifth grade when you started taking like guitar lessons, mm -hmm. like pretty seriously. I think, and, yeah, fourth or fifth grade for sure. And were you like more interested in like learning how to be a shredder of a guitar player oh, yeah. than like a songwriter then at yeah. that point? I was always like, I was always writing songs though. Like my like reheated Metallica riffs or whatever. Yeah. But I remember I actually found like a bunch of stuff I'd like, not like note, I'd like written songs in like tab, okay. you know? <laughs> But more from like that perspective of like writing guitar riffs and like noodling around rather yeah. than like a singer songwriter approach where you're like writing these like complete songs with lyrics and shit. It was like mostly that. I was writing lyrics, but yeah, it was mostly a more in like the heavier vibe. Yeah, but the, but yeah, I liked I liked other stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was there like people to play music with where you were Not at, really. or um, were you just kind of doing it on really. your own? Yeah, on my own. There's like, I mean, I lived like in cornfields. So oh, there, really? there is like, okay. yeah, like we lived out there. So there wasn't like, I mean, I had a, a friend, like a childhood friend growing up that we were like going to be in a band, but we had no, like, it was funny. Like I can remember like, like writing a list of things. I was probably fifth grade, like writing a list of things that we would need before we'd start a band. And <laughs> I thought, and it's funny, my mind still kind of works at this. I thought that like we needed to buy, like, I didn't know what a PA was, but I just knew like there were speakers involved. So I was like, man, we have to buy all this stuff before we can actually play. So it never happened. Cause I, in my mind it was like, Oh, if we don't have like everything you need to play a show, you can't be in a band. Um, maybe that's fueled my obsession with, recording stuff and everything now but so it never really got off the ground but there wasn't really outside of like my sister's boyfriend and then I had a couple like guitar buddies growing up but yeah there wasn't a lot there was there was like one band in my high school yeah it wasn't like a bunch of bands playing like a battle of the bands at your high school or anything no, of that nature not really like I mean I'm sure like in neighboring schools there are things going on but no it was pretty isolated yeah and just yeah yeah like how do things progress from there like did you have this passion to like really pursue music like did you have this idea in your head that you could like being a musician was a tangible thing or being like a recording engineer was like a tangible uh, thing or like did you like were those your aspirations to move to a big city and fucking insert yourself into a scene or? I mean maybe slightly later but no like early on like I had no idea I mean it, that fit when I first started playing I was like I, I had no idea like what recording was I, I there would be things I remember moments being like oh like what is this sound like what but no I didn't early on I mean I definitely like wanted to be a musician 
you know, but at the time, like my reference was like, you know, the Metallica show in Russia with, yeah. you know, I was like, Oh, that's, it's that, that's what I'm supposed to do. Okay. Dude, got it. For so long. Yeah. Like, I think you just kind of like, especially like the era that we grew up in, it's kind of like you either see like rock star status or like insanely broke musician. There's not like, There's you don't not. really realize there is a middle ground totally. of people that are just like quietly making Totally. A living off of music or yeah yeah it's like you have no idea and like honestly like i it probably wasn't until i moved to portland when i was like 26 that i mean when i was in akron so like fast forward a little bit like um or rewind depending on <laughs> um so that was kind of my start and then high school you know i kind of got involved in sports and stuff as one does if you don't want to get beat up all the time. <laughs> what uh, sports were you? Uh... Um, I played mostly football and I was a wrestler. Oh, okay. Yeah. But then I also ran track a little bit. So those things kind of like, I was still playing and stuff, but like once I realized I was like, oh, I think I'm kind of good at sports, like in like junior high, it kind of took over a little bit just because those things do. Cause yeah. high school coaches think it's the most important thing in the world so <laughs> yeah and then it becomes that to you and it, it, you know well i would assume too like when you don't have like a lot of other people to like play music yeah. with like you're not like finding your community of people yeah. that way anyway totally like there was like high school band and stuff yeah I, I didn't really you know i did that early on but not later so so i got into sports and then like kind of like later in high school started getting so i was like oh yeah i still play guitar and people would ask me like they're like school related stuff like oh hey we need a guitar player can you learn this like james taylor song or something like, yeah whatever <laughs> um, <laughs> um so i kind of and that's and i think that now that i'm thinking about this i think that was kind of like maybe the high school junior senior level that's kind of when i got more into like songs and started listening to, I mean, still, I feel like I was a little late to the game on a lot of good music. You know, I think like, I can't even remember what I was listening to. It was just like whatever, like pop singer songwriter stuff, like fucking Edwin McCain or like, yeah, for sure, you man. know, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, that all like resonates like pretty totally heavy for me. Like I was into like yeah. stuff like that totally. as a, you know, a high school person and yeah. even like, I don't know, I spent my early twenties playing like in an alternative rock band that yeah. was like very yeah. in line with like a lot of that nineties rock that we like yeah. grew up with or like the yeah. early two thousands stuff. And yeah. like my lens for going to shows outside of like a small punk club that was in my suburban yeah. Southern California city for some reason, which yeah. was like this incredible place where I got to see like a lot of the DIY shit happening. It was like my lens for going to shows was like seeing the Metallica summer sanitarium with like Lincoln park and Limp yeah. Biscuit and Deftones. Yeah. And like, it was yeah. just always on this like yeah. massive scale. So like, yeah, it wasn't until I moved to Portland, like when I was 27, 10 years ago or so, like that I got exposed to like so much different yeah. stuff. Like all these bands I like heard about like i knew uh, about built to spill yeah. and pavement and shit like that totally. but i never like listened to that or just yeah. like 
the indie singer songwriter stuff. And yeah. Well, it's kind of a good, I mean, that era was awesome because it was like pre Spotify. So you still had to kind of like discover yeah. things, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, but I think, yeah, later and then like, you know, I started to get into, it's probably like when I was a junior or senior, I started, I can't remember how, but I started to hear about like some other stuff, some more indie stuff, like, and it was kind of very like in the songwriter realm, like it was like, you know, Devender Banhart was started to put out some stuff some of the early, like lo-fi Devender Banhart stuff or like, um, Bonnie Prince, Billy and Bill Callahan, Smog, um, Joanna Newsom. I just learned about yeah. Bill Callahan like two months ago. Yeah. Dude. Like, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I'm Bill. late. Yeah. <laughs> so like all that stuff was in like, I wasn't listening to him at the time, but like Akron family, that was like, you know, they were kind of starting around. This is probably like 2004, 2005, like. Dang. So like was black keys happening in Akron at that time. Mm -hmm. yeah, did so, you know anything about them? Yeah, like, during I did those early days. Yeah, I did. So that's like, yeah, when I was, once I moved to Akron, like after high school, I started, you know, I did the classic, like I dropped out of college to be in a band, you but know, you went to sorry. Akron for college I went to Akron in like Akron university in Kent state okay. for college. Um, and then, yeah, it was there. That's kind of where I started actually like, I think I was like in my first band and started to get into recording but yeah I knew like the Black Keys at that point were already huge not like they are now but they were still in Akron and like I was pretty close in a way like I mean my the first studio I ever went to was Pat Carney's studio okay and like he had he had this place it was two studios in one building and so that was like the first place I ever went to to record and and then like <laughs> he was going to like put out my first band's record and you know, which never happened, it, you know, his label kind of, he kind of shut his label down. But so like he was around and then like my, f my friend that I was in a band with was Dan's, uh, or my friend, my friend Scott that I was in a band with his partner, Jill was Dan Arbach's nanny. So like we would like go to his house and like, you know, there, they were, yeah, they're huge at the time. And it was like an acronym. It was like, there's nobody else that's on that level. It's yeah. kind of like you were saying earlier. It's like, there's not, there was a scene. There's amazing. I feel like that's the only reason I know the name Akron yeah. other than like college sports. Totally. It's like, when you say Akron, I'm like, Black Keys. Yeah. It's like, it has that weird <laughs> lineage of like, I mean, it's in like Devo and the Pretenders and there's all like the seventies, like kind of like punk scene there's a lot of like a lot of people got signed to like majors in the 70s and 80s in Akron because like the pretenders and Devo had blown up so Warner Brothers was like like what's going on in Akron we gotta like send people there so all these like kind of like I mean yeah just like punk bands at the time Rubber City Rebels the Bizarros yeah. Tin Huey like all these Tin Huey's more like proggy but like they were all getting signed to like Warner Brothers um but anyway yeah then yeah like the Black Keys yeah, that all happened. And, you know, it, and they were still, Pat was still kind of a part of that, the scene in Akron. Because he had a label and there were a few bands that were on that label. And so he was still around. And yeah. But yeah, they were just like, we're like, how can they get any bigger? It's like they just kept on like, and it's still, like it's still going to this yeah. day, which is crazy. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was like kind of in that scene where I was like, 
I went to that studio and was like immediately, and we didn't record with Pat. There was another studio in the building with this guy, Ben. And it was immediately like in the studio. I was like, this is what I want to do. When you, when you say this is what I want to do, are you talking about you want to record music or you wanted to like the, like being in the space of a studio, like you were like, I want to make records with other people or just like I was wanted more to be like, a part of. I really it. like, I, I mean, I, yeah, it was more like, yeah, I want to like make my own, I want to record my own stuff. Yeah. And like, I started to see it and I was like, oh, I really like this like console. I don't even know that it, it's just all this stuff where I'm like, cool. You're just surrounded by the gear. Yeah. And I was you had like, all the stuff on that list finally totally. to like be in a band. Totally. I know. It's like, <laughs> this is the stuff. So, <laughs> So yeah, it was like, so I was, that was when I first started writing a lot yeah. and I started to realize that like how much of a tool recording was in the writing process, you know? And for me, like I, I, I realized, oh, I need to actually be able to do both of them, um, to like do what I want to do. I can't just like write all this stuff on guitar and not record it and be able to do other things. Cause that's not really how I that's not how music comes to me, you know? It does in certain ways, but it's like, I wanna be able to flush things out, I wanna experiment, I wanna, you know, I'm inspired by sound. So yeah. it's like, if I can't have a way to like capture that or like and manipulate it and dissect it or whatever, then I didn't really, couldn't really express this back then, but that was definitely like why I wanted to get into it. And so, in that studio, I was like, well, yeah, this is what, this is the environment I wanna be in. And then some yeah. shit where there was like studio a and studio B and like just a cool facility. It was a cool, yeah, it was a cool. And there was always like people like, yeah, it was like, it was just a scene. Like there are always people there, you know, like, well, that was the era, right? Where we didn't all have garage band on our computer. Like, yeah, it's like right before Dawes to like yeah. make records at home. So yeah. you actually, you did have to like go yeah. somewhere. It was like right as that was about to be the thing. I mean, people, you know, were still, yeah, people were doing that, but it, it was like not nearly as good as it is now. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was kind of the spark. When you went to that studio with that music you were playing at that time, was that like mostly stuff that you had written? Like, was that your role in the band that you were like, we were like, we like wrote together. So, but okay. I would like bring songs and I think it was kind of half, half. Yeah. Okay. I would, but yeah, the, the guy I was working with, who's really, he's in Nashville now. He was really brilliant, but he, his name was Scott Hartlob and he, I learned a lot from him because it, he was the first person that I was like, okay, where he would write something and then he would have every other, all the other parts to it. He would just know, and he could play everything. So he would he'd be like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. Let me like, let's do this on the drum. Like he would have it all maybe not totally mapped out, but in a way that I was like, Whoa, this is really cool. Like I've never really thought about music like that. I've never really thought that I could do that. And, and so that, that was super inspiring to me. Just being like, okay, like he's like figuring, he has all these parts in his head. And then it was like, once I like realized that I was like, oh shit, I have, I have this stuff in my head too. Mm. And I wasn't as much of a multi-instrumentalist as he was at the time. But then I was like, okay, now I see why it's cool if you know how to play the drums a little bit. Oh, for or, sure. Or you play the keys a little bit or the bass. It could be, so then you, it's like your vocabulary for like what can happen in a song kind of expands. And Absolutely. I'm like, oh, oh, that's how you like picks things up there that's how you know that's yeah. how you can like make this cool transition so yeah that was definitely like a big spark for me yeah i would imagine even just like 
being in the studio, even if you're not going to be the person that like plays that bass line mm. or that like that drum fill, at least you can like direct, like actually show somebody mm-hmm. what you're talking about and not just be like, do the thing. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or try to, I don't know. Sometimes when I try to describe that stuff to people, yeah, it's, it comes, it comes out like that where I'm like, oh, they got the, the chopsticks, you know? <laughs> so from that studio experience, did you kind of start, accumulating gear of your own to start being yeah. able to facil- facilitate your ideas more mm-hmm. in your own place or yeah yeah because it yeah i realized quickly that like i like the studio but like i need to have more time because like like when i'm writing something or when i'm working with someone it's like i most of the time I don't like to have a lot of stuff figured out and it's kind of the fun is kind of figuring that stuff out when you're in the studio. And so at the time I was like, I can't pay for studio time at all. I mean, barely at all. And it's like, we're trying to cram all this stuff into like a couple days. Yeah. And then like still not quite getting where we wanted to. So I was like, okay. And I, that was too, when I was like, Oh, I want to be recording on tape. Like, you know, doing everything in Pro Tools then, and I just was not like, I didn't even know really what tape sounded like or how to describe that, but I was like, I know there is something there that we're not getting recording digitally. Yeah. And I still think this many times today, even though digital sounds way better now to my ears, but so that was like, yeah, I bought this like Tascam 388, which is like a eight track reel to reel and mixer all in one, which I wish I still had, which is like a brilliant, just all in one studio. And it looks <laughs> like a console. And, you know, so I bought that and that was like, yeah, I never stopped after that point. And you would just be doing this like out of your, your house or wherever you were living well, at in, the time? In Akron, they, I actually was able to rent part of that studio okay so i had like there's like a big lounge area and yeah. so it was like oh 200 bucks a month you can like use the lounge whenever there's not like bands around yeah. so so people would be in and out but it was it was a fun time so yeah. i just had like that little thing and then some speakers and then that was kind of it they would let me like borrow mics and yeah. stuff so <laughs> yeah from there it was just like i don't know i just never stopped and i don't know working on tape too and i don't know learning like oh you can oh you can record fast and then slow it down and then i don't know that stuff just always blew my mind or i was like oh like playing with that medium you know kind of abusing it in a way yeah where it's like oh it's cool like guitars sound cool when they're slowed down so how can we like make this actually the sound of the song and that shit like i still do almost daily yeah <laughs> you know when people let me so, <laughs> yeah. is that uh do you feel like maybe the limitations of tape is also like helpful to be making a record and knowing that you're recording the tape, knowing that you want to get as much of like the raw material in those takes opposed to like chopping everything up later digitally. Yeah. Which I still do. Like, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I work in the computer tons, but I feel like those early days and I, I feel like when I talk about this stuff, almost everybody I hear when they talk about like how they got into recording, it, this is the same story, <laughs> um, which is fine. But, um, but I think early on just working on eight tracks and learning how to arrange a song for that was really helpful where I'm like, how, how can I fit all this stuff into just eight tracks and kind of more 
planning out where when you have unlimited access to everything, yeah. you don't have to do as much. So, so that was, I feel like just that, that limitation alone, I was like, this is the way to go. It's like, I don't need all this other stuff. And it's like, dude, eight tracks is a lot. You know, you can do a lot. I mean, I did all of Fuff of a Fire on eight tracks. And oh, damn. Some of the stuff is like, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And it just like, I had to plan it out. And I, I mean, I had everything arranged and then it was just like, okay, well, I know I'm going to record on these seven tracks, but then I can bounce five of them down to one track and yeah. then do the guitars and then bounce them down to one track. And so, yeah. Damn. That must be just like so crazy to think about though as far as like some of the stuff we were talking about off mic about thinking like about like film stuff and mm -hmm. how there's like 500 to a thousand tracks Maybe in this more. one thing no yeah. to go back to this thing. It was like eight tracks. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so much to think about. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to think about, but I don't know. It's, it's more fun that way yeah. to me. So were you uh, like when you were using that space and that initial console, was it mostly you just fucking around with your own yeah. ideas and your friend, like your friends around you at that time? And it was just all, yeah, all my stuff. Just and recording was, your own stuff. Yeah. And Damn. it was like that band, the band is called the walkies with me and Scott. It was kind of the end of that band. So I got the, the tape machine and we did like our album on it. Okay. And then he moved to Nashville and then I, I basically right away just started. Yeah. I just started working on, whatever i mean i did like i record like theme song covers twin peaks and shit like i would just like it was i didn't really know what i was doing but i was it was just experimenting and like, yeah i loved like yeah i loved just working that way on tape and just yeah yeah and you cut out the person that you needed to like facilitate all of your ideas you totally like, that must have just been like super rad to not feel like you needed someone else around to totally explore these things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know. It's, I feel like you don't, I feel like there's this like weird, like slope when it comes, I guess with just about everything, but with recording, which I've realized where it's like some of the shit I did when I didn't think I knew what I was doing, I think sounds sounded way better than some of the stuff I, I did when I, that I really knew it. Damn. Yeah. And, and now I'm, I'm kind of like, I've been noticing kind of getting in this place where I'm not thinking as much about the, the recording stuff. Like the knowledge is in there, but I'm not, when I'm in a session, I'm not thinking about the technical aspects of it or what I need to do. It's more like trying to see the end goal. Yeah. And, and then let that inform what I need to do. Or if there's an issue, like, okay, well, I know I have some knowledge back here somewhere of how to <laughs> figure that out. So yeah, it's weird. There's that like, yeah, it's like when I didn't know, didn't, didn't know what I was doing. I thought I, maybe I thought I knew more. Yeah. <laughs> and, but then like when I really thought I knew what I was doing, sometimes I listen to those recordings and I'm like, oh man, I, what was I, it sounds like choked off, like overthought out. For sure. You know? Yeah. So, it's that like weird yeah. innocence that you have when you're like learning a new instrument. Totally. And you like make something cool because you don't have any knowledge of the totally. thing yeah. before all the theory and all the like yeah. knowledge gets put in your brain and it, then you have all of that to like have to sift through. Yeah. It's like these raw 
I don't know, more raw thoughts or emotions or raw sounds that someone might tell you, oh, you shouldn't, that shouldn't be that distorted or that shouldn't sound like that. Like sometimes that is actually what it should sound like. And I know it maybe technically it sounds fucked up, but I don't know. I've just, there've been so many times in my life where I've like tried to redo that shit and then be like, this fucking sucks now. Like, yeah. what? You know? <laughs> so I don't know. It's important to, like, not, I don't know, to let, let things be and, like, kind of be extreme and, like, I don't know, fuck things up if you need to. Or yeah. if you don't mean to, but you have it now and it's fucked up, <laughs> try to figure out how to work with that, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, like, as you were, uh, I don't know, learning the gear and recording some of your own stuff, did you find that you were starting to listen and seek out records a lot differently? Like, were you paying attention more to like the gear used or like who produced this record or like engineered it or anything like that? Or were you not, not, yeah, I haven't, I mean, I guess now I sometimes like there are producers and mixers and stuff that I really like that even if I don't like the music they're working on, I'll, I'll be like, Oh, I wonder like what they're doing. But I've never really, I don't know. Yeah, I've never really, that's never really dictated what I listen to. I mean, I definitely like things that are, I think generally things that sound like they're like lost recordings that are very raw and maybe demos, maybe, you know. And and now like in the Spotify era, it's amazing because there's so much of that stuff out there i mean like numero group i've always loved for that you know all this like unearthed soul and r&b and yeah now on spotify there's so much stuff like tropicalia bossa nova yeah i don't know weird old like psychedelic folk recordings and so i've always been gravitated to stuff that sounded more like if you were hired to produce this record and it came out sounding like it did, you would get fired. <laughs> and I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, no, that's it. Like, uh, yeah. Like, Just even you hearing you say that. And then like thinking about the records that I know that you've worked on yeah. that like makes so much sense to me. Yeah. And like that kind of, uh, that quality to them. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So there are things like definitely like stuck out. Like once I started doing more stuff, there would be like, I'd hear something and like, I'd be like, whoa, this guitar sounds amazing. Yeah. You know, there'd be stuff like that, like S.E. Roji or something. You're like, wow, this is like, the recordings are awful in a way. Like they're not hi-fi at all, but yeah. like, man, that doesn't really matter to me, you know? For sure. And it's, it's hard. It's again, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Trying to make someone's record sound bad is, is not a, a good idea <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but kind of like, there needs to be like some ugliness and imperfection. And I've always been drawn to that. I think, you know, yeah. like recordings that's yeah sound like they're like shitty archive tapes that it's like, this is the last, <laughs> the, their last run. You know, I like that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Definitely like capturing a feel over like a polished aesthetic. Totally. It's more, and I, I feel like that is like a qualm with a lot of music today to me. I feel like it's so much of it is about like, presentation and like how it's how you see it and how how it comes to you and all yeah and i really miss like and a lot of these like recordings i'm talking about like i they feel like you're there you know and i I really am missing that a lot today Mm. where i like because 
yeah, where I, I listen to a lot of stuff I'm like, oh, this is a beautiful recording, but I don't, there's something about it that makes me feel like, like I'm not actually like in there with, yeah. there's two, like some of the stuff has been like, I don't know, imperfections have been taken out, Yeah, which I get, like I, 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 I do it too. Like, but yeah, there's something that I miss about that where I'm like, oh, I want to hear and Not that I like to do everything live, but I have gone through phases where I, I love doing almost entirely live recordings for that reason, you know, because it's like, oh, I want to hear that like chair creak. I want to hear like the foot tap and I want to hear all these things, you know, and, but again, like sometimes, you know, I've, I've been in phases where I've loved to work like that, but then you do a record like that and sometimes the people don't understand that, oh, you can't like take out that one sound. I'm like, dude, there's 10 mics around it. Like every, everything's live in the room. Yeah. So you start, right. you know, which I, I don't like to fear working like that because of those things, but it does make you kind of second guess yourself sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's like why demos are cool because there's so much feel that like lives in those. Like, I don't know. I don't play a lot of music now, but as far as like the music that I, even to this day, if I'm like messing around at home, I'm always like irritated to try to recreate the energy of like something that happened yeah. in the demo or like that innocence of that first time of like, it's like, oh, I'm never going to sing it that way again. Like totally because that's where like all the feel and the emotion was. And I just get, I get so like discouraged by not being able to like recreate that thing again that I yeah. just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I, like I totally, I mean, man, I've thought that same thing. Yeah. So many times or have many times with an artist, you know, which I mean, literally now I'm just like, yeah. Now I'm like, if you like that, we're just going to use it. Yeah. You know, I, no matter what it is, like, you know, there are times when I was like, Oh, like, I don't like, I have to do it. Like if we're going to work together, I, I, we need to recreate that. And now I'm just like, there's no way to recreate it. Yeah. And if you like something or a certain element, like we need to incorporate it somehow, yeah. you know, because that is like, that is where the magic is. That's what I want to, that's, <laughs> if you're feeling it and you're happy, that's what we need to go for yeah know? even if it's really shitty sounding like i don't know there have been times like you know i've worked with this one artist where like we recorded two songs like on this like cassette like the dictation machine on her record and and the rest of the songs were recorded kind of like beautifully you know it was a nice like warm you know lot totally live record and but like those nasty fucking cassette recordings still are her favorites to this day because it just it it puts you in the mode where you're like oh you're just kind of playing when you get like the gear gets fancier and fancier you don't feel like you're playing anymore you feel like you're like okay I'm in the studio yeah I need to make sure i uh wear my like lab coat For and sure. you know and but when you have just like a little tape recorder or something or i don't know you don't it's way less precious and sometimes that like just opens up that feeling we're talking about yeah you know. i'm i'm actually like very impressed by the people that can do like a hundred vocal takes and it's the 98th one that is the one that they feel the best about because yeah. i'm just like i don't know how you sustain the energy yeah. to like deliver it that way on the 98th take or like had it in you anymore like that's 
I don't know. My, know. Mind blowing to me. Like either. as mind blowing as it being the first take almost, totally. you know, I know it's like, uh, I, I mean, I heard a story about like Barry Gordy from Motown, like how he, <laughs> he would do, cause he would mix stuff. And they said he would make, he would do like 200 mixes, but then pick number two, yeah. you know, <laughs> just like you, I don't know if you do 98 takes and then you are convinced that the 98th one is the one, like I commend you at that <laughs> point, I would be like, I don't know. Can we never hear this song again? Yeah. <laughs> like I have no, no context on it now. And then you but, have to be the one that mixes that after and hear I, it another hundred times. I, man, yeah, that is my life. <laughs> yeah, which I don't know. Yeah, it happens. I and mean, I feel like every song I work on, I probably listen to three or 400 times, maybe more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like after, like prior to you making the Fafa fired record, had you recorded many bands projects prior to that? Not really. I, I think the first Portland collaboration I had which is right around right before that time um was with this guy Christian Blunda who's um a good friend he's in this band called the Mean Jeans which is like you know this amazing party punk band <laughs> uh the so like he I can't remember how we met but oh I do remember yeah one time my partner at the time bought a whiteboard off of Facebook from Christian and I, we, I'd met him before we were kind of in the same circle, but he was like, he was one of the people I'm like, Oh, this band is like touring and like, they're kind of just this like funny punk band, but it seems like, it seems like there's more than meets the eye. Like the songs were just like really, really well constructed and, you know, and then like, you know, they're touring a lot. They have this yeah. following. So he was one of the first person I met personally that I was like, Oh, this guy's kind of doing this thing. And, but anyway, he came over, we just kind of barely knew each other. He came over this whiteboard and he saw like my little like studio room and he was like, Oh, this is a rock room. And <laughs> <laughs> that was not this yet. Then. No, that was this, in my apartment. Okay. This is right, right before this. Okay. Um, and then from there, like he had some songs that were kind of like, they honestly like one, yeah, they were kind of, they're not like the Ramones punk thing. They're kind of like a little bit, not songwriter songs. The first one would kind of had like some tropical vibes to it, you know, and had some like, I don't know. It was the first time I'd ever really like written guitar parts for someone else too. Oh, okay. Like, and I feel like that kind of, the stuff that I did with him kind of informed like Fub of a Fired and kind of like the jangly, like doubled harmony guitars and yeah. stuff, which was like, yeah, kind of like, I don't know if you ever listened to like S.E. Roji, that guitar player from uh. Sierra Leone, but definitely inspired by that stuff. But anyway, so he was kind of the first and we worked on maybe five or six songs. He, he was kind of the first. And then I got this place and we did more stuff. Yeah, but yeah, he was kind of the first person that I like worked on yeah. <laughs> in Portland. Yeah. Did it feel like a pretty like comfortable position for you to yeah. be in where you're like, oh, I feel like I could see myself, you know, yeah. facilitating other people's ideas and not just be recording my own. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I felt at home. It's like not all the songs. He actually like just released what we did like a 
couple of years ago. It was one of those things that you just like go down the rabbit hole yeah. and that you can't get anything where you want it to. And then six or seven years later, I think he revisited and we'd be like, Oh, we actually, yeah. it's actually awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and put it all out. So, well, I hear you're, you know, maybe sitting on some music of your own. Oh yeah. I don't know if you know, but they all like called you out in the prior episode to this. Oh and, really? And said, that guy's got to release his record. <laughs> yeah. I, should. I, have, I have been sitting on one. I did. Uh, yeah, I need to. I will one of these days. I've been sitting on one that it, it's been quite a while now. Like I did it in mostly in 2020. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, just didn't quite finish it then. And then, you know, a lot of shit happened and yeah. And you, I'm um, assuming it's like, you're kind of bouncing back and forth between like working on yeah. everybody else's projects yeah. and hard yeah. to make space for your I mean, if you, fi- if you fix cars all day, you don't want to go home and fix your own car. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. talking to somebody about that yesterday. Yeah. So, which is kind of a cop out for me. Like, it, it, <laughs> you know, to be honest, it's like, if I zoom out a little bit, it's like, I do have, I think time is the thing that I'm, I'm missing in the equation. Like I have a, everything else, you know, is here. Like I yeah. can make a record anytime I want sort of, but yeah, so I, I have this record I've been sitting on it for a while. Yeah. I think it will come out at some point in the next couple of years, depending on like label schedules and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. So like now that you're deeper into making records mm-hmm. like i don't know that was like seven eight years ago that you yeah. made the the fafa fired record and yeah. you've made a lot of records for other people yeah. since then is your preference still to make your own music like as far as like do you want to be the person recording your own music or do you like the idea of like someone else being in the room with you or like yeah it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. Um, I definitely like doing a lot of stuff by myself, but yeah, it's the, the weird zone of, well, then you're not accountable to anyone. So you do a record in 2020 and sit on it for three years. (laughs) Um, uh, it's good to have some collaborators. I mean, one thing that I've always kind of stood by is like, when you get stuck on something, you call someone. You know, and you're working on a song or you're producing something for somebody. If you get stuck, oh, we don't know what to do for this part. You call someone that you think does, you know, it's like, I can't figure out the baseline, like call someone that's a better bass player or, or whatever. So I like having those kind of collaborators, you know, yeah. where I'm like, oh, let me kind of start something. And it's important for me. And I think one of the reasons I have issues working with people, some t- like if I had like another engineer or something is it's really important for me to like spend as much time as possible getting something to feel right. And it's kind of like what we're talking about. Like I want that, that rawness and, and I, sometimes it takes, even though sometimes it's one of those early takes that has that sometimes Mm -hmm. getting to that point takes a while. Yeah. I feel like I would drive people crazy (laughs) searching for that, you know, after I find that, then it's like, okay, now it's okay to bring in some collaborators, yeah. you know, you feel like that translates like also to the records you're making mm-hmm. with other people Definitely. too, of just like, yeah. we're going to get this, 
Like you're not going to leave something that doesn't feel good. Totally. There. It's you're very make sure that it does yeah, feel good. Totally. And it's like with other people, I think it's easier for me to do that fast. Cause I'm like, I know what it, what it is that I want. And yeah, but it's like, it's the great mystery. It's like, it's, it's scary because there will be sessions. I mean, like you talked to like Alex Croson and all that. Yeah. That record, like, I mean, I had no idea what we were doing until we were doing it. You know, like I, he was going to have like a band and that didn't really work out, which I'm, I'm glad it didn't. Cause yeah. I, I feel like what we did together was kind of what it was supposed to be. But it was like, I didn't, I mean, I didn't even know I was going to play drums on it until like we were like, I was like setting up drums in here beside the tape machine, you know, <laughs> like, so that's that spark that like that's fun energy of yeah, like making like a record. A, and I'm glad because when you have the right people, it's like and people that can play, it's like, well, you don't need to plan as much because you can figure things out on the fly and then just play them. We made love in your riverbed without fear of remorse. I felt your they're like open to that sort of experience yeah. too right of like well i don't know what we're gonna do either but i'm just gonna trust that like whatever we do in the studio today is yeah. going to be like something good and totally and yeah some people like yeah getting people to trust that i don't know for me like it's actually that's never been an issue it's like definitely some people like to be a lot more prepared and there's some records i do where it's it's way more i mean al is a good example of someone that will have literally every part written out and like people will come in and they'll hand them a sheet and they'll play twice through perfectly. And, you know, and, and it's more about just, yeah, just kind of being there and supporting that. So, yeah. So yeah, it's, everybody is different, but, but anyway, yeah, like that magic's got to be there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that Alex Croson record was like, I think just because I was like, most familiar with the records that you've made with Isabeau mm -hmm. and like hearing yeah. both of those, but then hearing Alex's record, yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, this really is like, you can really hear Ryan's sound in yeah. there too. Yeah. You know? And I was like, Oh, this is it. Yeah. And then going back to your Fafa fired record, yeah. which I love by the way, oh, I think it holds up like really well, especially for someone like me that didn't like spend any time with it prior yeah. to like when it came out, like yeah. listening to it now, I'm just like, Man, there's some great fucking songs on here. Thanks, like man. I love yeah. listening to them. Thanks. Is that like will, will you pull like stuff from like I know you don't play like a ton of live shows yeah. currently, but are those like songs that will make it into the rotation or no. you like pull like make just all new newer stuff or like yeah the unreleased stuff? Those songs are really hard to play live. I, I had I, I did have a, a band that we did that um, 
for a while, but not really since like that's probably like twenty eight. Yeah, I mean around that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, the songs are really hard to play live. That was one definitely like, and I feel like I've I've made many records that are like that. So yeah. I'm just like, oh, I don't care about the live part. I just want to make make it sound like I want it to yeah. sound. And so yeah, it's like. Those songs, for the most part, they're really hard to sing. They're in weird vocal ranges that I didn't really think about, but then I would have a whole instrumental down. <laughs> so I would do the thing where, yeah, I would like slow down the tape and sing on it and then speed it up. So it kind of gives me a, you know, a weird sounding voice. I would just do stuff like that. But then live, it's like the song still is in an awful key. Yeah. <laughs> and, and playing it in a key that, yeah, I don't know. So, so yeah, mostly, no, I don't play those songs for that reason and it's like you know the instrumentation varies so yeah. it's like building a band around that with you know i don't know it's it's challenging i think that's good to know though that you like don't want to like try to play those songs if they're not going to communicate the way that they're supposed yeah. to you know like i'd rather I'd rather the the band tell me we don't play that song live because we haven't figured it out than you playing some bullshit version yeah. of it. You know, like I don't yeah. need everything to be a replication of the record. I just totally. don't want it to feel like it's missing something. And that was always a hard thing with those songs. It was like I can't put a, a band a band together that can actually pull it off. You know, we can just do like a new version of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. That happens a lot. That's something that I, I go in and out of caring about where, you know, you work with someone and it's like, well, what are we going to do? Do you want to sound, do you want something that you can do live or do you want something that is just like, we're just going to use the studio for yeah. what it's, it's worth and, you know, and use it as like a songwriting tool rather than just trying to take a photograph of how this song sounds live. Because usually that doesn't sound good to me. It sounds good when you're live but when you're recording it that usually doesn't sound good to me <laughs> you know it's like yeah i don't know if that makes sense but you know there's no. like energies that when you're seeing and interacting with the band live there's energies that you just can't get when you're recording because you're only ever going to hear it you're not going to like watch this thing so yeah. it's, there's other things you have to do in my mind to make something kind of compelling in that way yeah yeah so so ideally you would rather be like working with somebody that just wants to make the best possible studio record rather than yeah. like having this mentality of how is this going to translate live yeah and it's like you know yeah i would rather just i just want to make good songs yeah and sometimes that does translate i think that's more like yeah maybe like a personnel issue you know so if you have like a group of musicians that, you know, will play on your record and then you're going to also have them your band live, you know, yeah. it might be a little easier. It's like, are you like baking it in or are you like doing it and then trying to figure it out? I don't know. I've done it so many yeah. ways. So. <laughs> it's not sustainable for most people to have like an eight piece band That's to pull off this one set too exactly like, yeah it's like you're gonna get paid 250 bucks it's like yeah not <laughs> it's just not so i think that yeah for the most part that shouldn't be a concern of anyone is making something that's going to translate live you should be able yeah. to get into a, a, ball, a ballpark but yeah. like i don't think that that should ever limit you and i mean the studio is an instrument it's like you can yeah like ex experiment like that's the fun part about a studio and like like i don't want things to sound natural I like natural 
characteristics of a recording, but like natural is actually kind of boring. <laughs> you know, there's a yeah. lot about like, I don't, I don't want that. You know, how different of a process is it for you when you're, uh, we can take like AL's most recent record, the go Yeah. How different of a process is it when you're only hired maybe to like mix something and not be participating in the actual recording process? Yeah. Um, it's fun. Like it's, yeah, I think still in my experience when you're getting hired just as a mixer, there's like a, uh, I hate saying this word, but I'm going to say it anyway. There is a vibe missing or that is being searched for still in the record. And that's your job to kind of like figure that out, you know, yeah. um, like a all like he have, will have everything figured out. Like in this way, I'm like, I don't, I don't like, I, I don't even, like, I don't need to think about anything in that realm. Cause yeah. I know like maybe there's times when he's like, Hey, can you play guitar on this? But, um, so on this, it was, yeah, it was, he used a lot of like software keyboards and stuff. So it was like, how do we, and once I heard it, I was like, okay, I think I know what to do. Like, how do we get this to sound like dream, like nat natural, but you know, I don't know, just something like, how do we like just instill something that feels real with these things that actually aren't real? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that shit blew me away. Like talking yeah. to him and finding out that like all of it was done through Ableton yeah and like totally not real instrumentation really totally aside from maybe the the keys on mm -hmm. it from time to time yeah. but like yeah I don't know that one like it feels like a world was definitely created through that music like I told him I was like yeah listening to this record sound like makes me feel like I'm watching a movie yeah totally and so, yeah, that was fun. You know, we just like, I don't know when I'm just like mixing a record, there's always a trick. Like I want to find the trick for this record. You know, I don't know what that is, but there's always like some sort of piece of gear or some technique. And that one we'd like literally just reamped everything into that room. And then I had this room mics up and, you know, I would use different amps for different tones, but that was kind of what was missing. I mean, when you think of keys and piano, like you think about like the space they're in with yeah. everything when you're recording, you know, and sometimes when like the convenience of all the software stuff, I mean, the sound quality is amazing, but like you kind of, it's like too good. So yeah. you kind of need to like bring it back into <laughs> down to earth a little bit. Yeah. So. For all the, the dumb people like myself, yeah. like what is like reamping? So like actually like yeah. look like um, in simple terms. Yeah. In simple terms, it's when you take something that has been recorded already. It could be anything, um, you know, common practices or like, like drums, like, but anyway, you take a signal that has been recording, like a, a snare drum, and then you send it out to an amp. That is okay. the reamp part. Okay. And then process it. However, you know, you could mic the amp closely. In this case, I had just a mic or I had an amp set up and then I had different mics like in the room. It was like a reverb chamber basically. Okay. So, um, yeah. And I would just, you know, switch between have a couple different mics up so we can see like different options or, you know, you don't want everything to sound the same. So you, right. but yeah, reamping is just sending something I pre-recorded to an amp for fun. Yeah. I guess. For sure. <laughs> you can put effects on it. You can, you know, you can use, 
Like instead of using a reverb in the computer, you could use an amp that has reverb and use that as your reverb send, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, or distort it or, or whatever. Sure. Yeah, but it's a wonderful, for certain things, that's super fun. Obviously it would be a, a silly use for this, but like what we're recording right now, like you could make us sound like we're in some sort of church like, exactly. or whatever, like a, a huge room. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's sure. wonderful. Like, I mean, I'm a big advocate of, I mean, everybody has reverb plugins and stuff like that, which I, I use, but there's it's way more unique to use the rooms you have for the same thing. And you can reamp signals into the room and then just mic the room. And that sound is way more, even if it's kind of bad, is way more unique than anything else you'll get. Because no one yeah. else, literally no one else has that. Everybody has the Chris yeah. Lord Alge plugins. Totally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, hey, no, no, you know, no shade. Like, I use, I use it all, but I, I, when, when possible, I will always do stuff like that. Yeah. You know, you know I, yeah, always. No, that makes sense that, like, that's how you're going to, in this day and age, like get some sort of like unique sound totally yeah it's yeah it's something that no one else has so yeah i love that shit like the trick for that record that was a trick for that record but like those tricks you know you're figuring out kind of like in real time yeah then yeah and that one like i'd listened like he sent it to me and i don't know how i thought of it but i was like i bet this would just work and then it started doing it and i was like oh yeah obviously this is like the right move yeah so and a lot of it yeah too it's like I, i can't remember if i i think i'd started doing it on my own and then he came in so yeah, sometimes it is like, I don't know, someone will be here, so. That's I'm, what he explained I'm, to me. He's like, I wanted Ryan to get it in like a spot that he felt good before yeah. I jumped into like the processes as far yeah. as like voicing opinions. Yeah. I can't imagine it's like a super fun experience for someone to be like over your shoulder while you're mixing. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> well, there's just a lot of stuff. And I don't know, again, like everything is different, but. Yeah, there's. It's gonna be mostly me for hours swearing to myself and, <laughs> <laughs> and just doing stuff that like I don't like. And I've realized this just recently that, dude, people aren't gonna get what I'm doing all the time, and that's okay. It's not that I'm above them in any way, but there are things that if someone was here that I just won't do because I know that it's like a little too zoomed in yeah. to matter. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense, like I've especially been the yeah. person in the room over the shoulder yeah. enough times to know that that's not like a good place for me to be in because like I, I'm gonna sit there and be like, why is he listening to this over and over again? Yeah. Like, why are we not moving on from this thing? And is this where my money is going <laughs> for yeah. you to do? Yeah. So it's like so it's yeah. There's a lot of stuff that like, and like in mixing too, there's a lot of stuff that you have to do in like these very very extreme ways you know that you're just kind of blending in 
you know, but when you're listening to it and trying to dial that in, so they'll be yeah. like, this is so fucked up. Like, oh, it's way, there's way too much reverb. There's way too much effects. And it's like, it's like, this isn't, I'm, this is just a step of this, you know? So, so yeah, but sometimes this, yeah, there's, you know, I've, there's been records that I've mixed in one day with the person, yeah. you know, and it's just a different approach. It's like, oh, it was more like, okay, this was more of a live thing. And now we're just kind of, this is what it sounds like. And now we're just trying to like tighten that up a little bit. So yeah, but yeah, so there's always, I like to have a trick for every record. You don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what you it's going to be. It out. And that is that the thing that usually like helps streamline the process really for you then? Mm -hmm. Like once you've figured out what that, yeah, definitely in mixing trick is you're like, okay, once I know they're excited and they're like, this, this feels right. Then, then for me, it's like so much of it is just getting to that point. Yeah. And then there's still a lot of work to do after that point, but then I'm like, okay, I know that they're soaked about this sound and then I can just kind of apply that to everything. Yeah. You know, however, yeah. Is there a record that you did or just have done since like making your, your first solo record that you feel like really, uh, I don't know, changed the game for you or like just like instilled confidence, maybe helped you shake some of the yeah. whatever imposter syndrome you oh, might experience yeah. along the way that well, you're like, that was the record yeah. that like made me feel good about shit. I or, think there are some that have made me feel good about things, but it's fleeting. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think early on, like the Ila Bamba records, they just, I don't know, immediately put me on the map in a way like yeah. just someone not that. really even me but just was like okay now I've done like a record that is you know being you know having good PR and all this you just out there and it was a you know a band that already had a lot going on like a lot of people knew about it so those records I feel like all of those made me feel like okay like I'm like oh, I'm actually doing this yeah you're being trusted I'm being trusted too. like it could have yeah. gone to a lot of other people it could have gone to a lot of other people and so so yeah those definitely like I was like okay like I feel like even though even though like thinking back it's one of those things where I'm like oh I thought I knew so much but actually <laughs> shit. so aside from that though I'm like oh you know okay shit like I'm doing this like these are actually kind of I mean for me I'm like they're really big records to do yeah you know still i mean even the last one we just did i was like this is really i mean has definitely more people listen to those records than anything else yeah like, last one's definitely like uh, my favorite ila bomba record and it's like, like all those like I, again like and i've there have been several artists i mean four or five i guess that i've done like two or more albums or eps with yeah, that's a, um, obviously a good sign that yeah. those people have like really enjoyed the process and like what you're getting out of them. I know like you're preparing to like make the third Isabel record. Totally. And, like, and then like with my friend Jeffrey, like we're just finishing like the fourth thing that we've done together and we're already planning on like two other ones. So it's like cool to like, I don't know, in the like, so if an artist does like say like the, the last Ila Bamba record before the pandemic. Yeah. So like in that, the air in the, the space between like when I work with an artist once and then the next time, like I've probably done like six or seven other records in that. So it's like a lot of times they're expecting to do the same thing we did the last time, but I'm like, Oh, I'm like so bored with that. 
like let's try a different approach um, but there are always things that I'm like, okay, with Elon there's always things like when I start something else, I have to remember. I'm like, oh yeah, don't do this. <laughs> don't do this. I have, yeah, don't get attached to these 10 songs that this record is now because there's going to be 10 more probably. Mm, yeah. And then the record might, you know, be almost recognizable yeah. to me now, but will turn out to be awesome. And so that's one thing with that band. I'm like, okay, keep that in mind. Yeah. Like don't be attached but that like even makes sense of like thinking about what you're saying as far as like I might have made this record with this person last year, but I've made five records since then. And now my lens is different mm -hmm. for how I want to approach things or just like even thinking about like some of the pre-production meetings we've had about mm -hmm. Isabel's new record. Yeah. Like your your thing that you said to everybody was like just be open to experimentation because you've yeah. made records records with everybody in that room totally like separately yeah so they like have so obviously like learned to like expect things like you're saying but yeah. you're like but don't expect it because like we're maybe gonna do it completely different totally today yeah. and that's cool this that'll be pretty unique for me like working yeah having i mean i guess it's happened but like everybody in that band like it's we all have individual our, records with you yeah. you have like personal relationships with each person yeah. there so like that would be cool like yeah oh yeah we're talking about records that i feel like made me feel more confident you know one thing i i've realized lately is some of the records that i feel the worst about when i'm doing them in a year or two end up being some of my favorites and i don't mean i feel the worst about them like like the song, like the songs aren't good and all that, but like more of like my role in it. Yeah. I'm like, shit, like I, like, I don't think I did my best or I was, mm. I was, I was in my head about something from this other record or, or yeah. this, it was a weird time, but, but like the one record that, that just came out, um, that I felt this way about, which I love the songs, but I felt up until the very end that I was like, man, I like, I don't think I, I did my best yeah but now i'm like dude this is like like the mixes these are the coolest mixes i've ever done shit yeah. like that is like jeffrey silverstein's western sky music there's some and, cool shit on there man. and he was just yeah he was just here last night we talked about this yeah not that I, I i loved everything about it i just yeah felt that i was like shit i don't think i did my best on it. but now after it came out and i didn't listen to it for a year i'm like like using some of those songs as like references for other mixes I'm doing, you know. So, so yeah, sometimes the ones that you don't feel confident about in the end, <laughs> in the end, you're like, oh shit, this is actually some of, some of the best stuff I've done. Yeah. So. someone new is coming to make music with you is there like 
still a part of that process like i don't know what the fuck i'm doing man i can't believe somebody's well, coming over here to like trust in me yeah. to make a record definitely because <laughs> i feel like i think yeah and it definitely goes hand in hand with my somewhat freewheeling approach where i'm like shit i actually don't know what i'm gonna do yeah. this person is paying me to know but i'm like i i don't know was it, yeah was there so, was there any like formal education ever like no it was all just like kind of self-taught or yeah. just like learning from other people that were willing to give you yeah, some of their time like definitely yeah and the recording and yeah no no formal education I, I had some good moments like i'm such a sponge you know like once i like i'm interested in something like i don't know i don't if I'm around, I feel like the best thing for me is always to be around some people that really know what they're doing, even if it's for an hour. <laughs> and there have been a, yeah, a few moments where there's this producer um, named Randall Dunn that lives in New York, but he's mostly, most of his life is in Seattle and did a lot of like iconic Northwest stuff like Sun O and Marissa Nadler and bunch of he's done so much he does a lot of film records now but i he was producing a record that i was like playing on and and it was like at this fancy studio tucker martin studio and that was like probably in it was i was working on fofofa fired at that point but yeah so just being with around him <laughs> was pretty awesome i mean he's he's kind of a force and like very like old school old school producer so but yeah but being in situations like that, even if it was only for a day or like my only like recording training or yeah. like, I know, like, okay, I can see, you know, and just like, oh, this is how you run a session. This is how you do overdubs. This is yeah. how you kind of work a singer through, you know, some tough stuff that they're, you know, it's like, so I've had some moments like that. I have people like my studio partner, Arjun. I mean, he was the reason I was in that room because it was his record we were doing. Like he... He's not as, I mean, he is like a recording engineer and mix. I mean, he has a stu he has studios and he likes that world, but he doesn't really like work as like a producer for hire most of the time, but he's definitely just taught me a lot about music, you yeah. know, and his life. And then, yeah, there is one other person that's really important is my friend, Justin Morris, that like, is like a studio tech and also a producer. Um, and he like kind of set up the studio and did a bunch of work here. Is that the dude that you call when you're having like some fucking just technical crisis? Yeah, too? totally. <laughs> he's like the only one that knows. <laughs> but he's also a really great engineer and kind of came up like the more traditional way. Like he's from Austin and like, you know, it was like working under like, you know, big producers and stuff. So he he has that level of knowledge where, you know, this is how you know, the best studios in the world operate and, you know, some of the best producers and mixers and engineers, you know, he, he definitely like shined a light on a lot of that stuff, which I think a lot of that knowledge is like pretty widespread on the internet now, but to have someone actually show you like, Oh, this is like this vocal compression yeah. thing that many people use, but it's not really, the specifics aren't really talked yeah. about or, you know, just stuff like that where I'm like, okay, I feel like I got a lot of, good recording chops from him like being around here working in the studio yeah. okay okay i think i understand things a little bit more yeah so but outside of that yeah all self-taught i feel like that's uh that i don't know maybe displays your uh your passion 
for the recording or like wanting to learn even yeah. when you're not in necessarily like it's not like you sat down in a classroom to like learn these things so you're like in the space and you want to like absorb everything that's happening around you yeah and like a lot of it like dude i've just been lucky like like i just had all this work come to me sort of yeah and like through well, it like i learned so much and yeah. still like to this day i mean and it's one of those things you just do it you see patterns develop the more you do it and you see especially with people like and i don't know just like knowing like how to read the room and when someone is like excited about something recognizing that yeah and be like okay i'm on the right path because if i don't have that then i i'm in trouble like because i i've i'm like fueled off of that once i know like someone is stoked about something <laughs> then i'm like okay now i know what we're doing yeah it's got to be rough to be like making a record with somebody and just clearly seeing that they're not happy with it or like feel like you're honing in on something it's like yeah that's like the other part of your job right is to like facilitate this comfortable creative environment where they do trust what is happening and yeah and most of the time it's good like i have very little such i mean there's definitely working people that are harder to read and that maybe we don't know each other that well yeah i'm like Oh, am I, am I doing this? I yeah. definitely get, I'll get so self-conscious, but yeah, yeah, like when I know it's like, yeah, when I'm mixing or something and I get the notes that are like, like, this is great. Yeah. There's just these two things. Then it's like, I know I'm like, okay, I know I'm on the right track. <laughs> um, but yeah, all the work is like leading up to that point. Yeah. Well, I got to imagine too, like most of the, most of the things you're working on are like people are coming to you because they like the sound of the records that you make. Yeah. You know, you're not totally. just being like thrown in with somebody that doesn't have reference for what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not much of a, yeah, I don't know. That's why like, I feel like the term like recording engineer, I'm like, am I that? Cause I, I feel like most of the time it's like a specific thing. And if someone's expecting like, Oh, I just want this nice clean recording. If the yeah. drums all every single drum mic'd up and all that. I'm like, uh, how do I do that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've done this stuff, but still it's like, it's not what, uh, yeah. I'm just like, this isn't the place for that. <laughs> Producer feels more in line maybe then, yeah, than think, like recording engineer. Yeah. I mean, I think they're definitely hand in hand, but yeah, I think for the most part, I mean, the, di- the difference in my mind is like, yeah, if you're going to someone for a specific sound, you're going to a producer. Yeah you know, and what that means, like when you're in the studio can mean a lot of different things. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like kind of co-writing with people. Sometimes I don't play any, like on Andrew Harrison's record, I didn't play anything, you yeah. know? And he kind of came in with these pretty fleshed out demos. Yeah. Was like, I didn't need to it was yeah. just like, Oh, like let's just make, I don't know. Let's just plug in a bunch of guitar pedals and yeah. see what comes out kind of vibe. But yeah, some people it's, yeah, it's more like you're just, you're writing songs, you're finishing songs with them. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I was happy that he did that with you. Cause I know that that's like a little out of your, your wheelhouse, like this huge guitars and like, yeah. And he could have like made that record with like David Pollock or something. Oh, yeah, and totally. it would have been like a big polished rock record, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like you brought out some, some character in that shit that like, yeah, he was looking for and like yeah. that wouldn't have, come out otherwise you know? yeah i mean he's yeah definitely the songs were like packed full of care like the arrangements and everything else. 
Yeah. I was like, you don't need to. Yeah, like, no one else needs to be involved. <laughs> Get a drummer, because you... We can't play drums. <laughs> I mean, we can play drums, but not, like, drums on that record. Yeah. You know, which is, like, a specific thing. Yeah. You know, but... Yeah, so that was fun. Yeah, that was... That was wild. <laughs> it is fun. Like I get, it's a different way. I don't know. It's just a different way of working. Yeah. But yeah. Where would you say at this point you feel like you see like the most growth in your your process of uh, making records? Like, I would say at this point it is. I don't say like being invisible is the right way to put it, but being like transparent in a way and knowing cause yeah, everything is different and sometimes you need to be really heavy handed like Alex Croson, like that, that by even Isabeau or some other artists too, where it's like, we're just going to take this song and turn it into whatever world that we think is right. You know, sometimes that is not the right move. So I think like kind of being transparent in the way and recognizing what, what time is it? Is it that time? Or is it not? <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? And like, just like, yeah. and like not, I don't know. Also just recognizing when you're good, you know, when things are good, this is good enough. Yeah. We can move on. Like, yeah. Knowing when to like leave something and put it down and yeah. being like, this is finished. Cause you can get in this like weird tone chasing zone, you know, which is not fun for me and it's not fun for an artist. It's like, <laughs> like I want to be able to like, if we're recording drums, like I'll have my drum sound in 20 minutes. Like it's not like, I'm not using tons of mics or anything, but it's like, I want to be able to work kind of at that clip without yeah. sacrificing the way the record sounds. But the things that I'm like in the past, like, Oh, I want to get like this craziest sound for this. And I'm like, but does that matter? Like, I don't know. Sometimes it does. And then you need to do it. But sometimes it's like this, these drums can just sound ordinary and that's okay. Yeah. And if we need to get crazy later, we can, but I think just reckon we amp it later, man. Totally. <laughs> but yeah, so I think just like recognizing like, yeah, what, what time it is, what, what kind of artist you're yeah. working on, what, what they need. And I don't know. It's, it's tricky. I don't always get it right, but you know, I try to. Seems like yeah. you've been getting it right, man. <laughs> I'm yeah. I just love the, the records that you've, Thanks. you've been making and diving into your own music and honestly like i'm uh yeah i'm also like stoked that i i don't know you're someone that like i've known your name for a long time mm -hmm. but it wasn't until like this last year like through the isabeau stuff that i've like gotten to know you yeah and i'm like glad that i've got to like capture this conversation at this stage where like i've gotten to know you and like developed like some sort of yeah. relationship rather than like walking in here as strangers, I feel like we might've had a different totally. conversation or just like getting, I don't know. I've had some, some ways to like get some insight on your process yeah. along the way, or just like 
yeah just getting to know your your personality and stuff like yeah. I, I just like enjoy the hang yeah totally man so it's like nice to get to like chop it up on the mics with you at this stage For and sure. not just like walk what in is, here as yeah. like some unknown person to you and yeah there's a little more context yeah yeah that's absolutely helpful. yeah yeah yeah. So yeah. Thanks for fucking doing it. Yeah. Is Thanks that for it? talking with me. Yeah, man. Okay, nice. You feel good about it? I think so. Yeah. I don't remember, but most of it. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought you did great. Okay. Good. You did great. You I don't make... feel, uh, I don't feel remorseful. That's good. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm like, shit, I should have. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want you or to I feel shouldn't remorseful. Have said this. Yeah, I don't feel like that at all. So yeah. Yeah. No, this was like very, I don't know, as somebody that does know your work, like this was very enlightening to me or like made things like make sense, I guess, like certain characteristics of the, the music that you're making or like records that you're participating in making for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh, keep up with your studio here. Oh yeah. And, uh, and if it's cool with you, I'm going to like play one of these Fafa fired songs to, yeah. to play the episode out. Yeah, please, please do. I want to play Turn My Heart Around. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I love that song. My, dude. my, I think my most played song. It's so fucking good. Yeah. I got that one. Got, I feel like that song saved me in the early pandemic days. Cause I got some, some licensing from. Oh, that. nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> For, um, I can't remember what fucking show something on like the CW. That's but, amazing. Yeah. They, were, they did two. I think that and the song flashes of rage both got license kind of at the same time and i was like oh my god it saved me that's so cool yeah we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program and it means absolutely nothing it's just the way that my grandfather says the news program he always says program about everything for some reason so uh, if we can get the ryan oxford it's a program you can deliver it however you want i don't think i'll be reamping it so i wouldn't expect anything (laughs) like in post-production to happen crazy here so it's just a raw take Okay. It's a program. You nailed it, everybody. It's nice. Ryan Oxford. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that one. I like when yeah, people call like TV shows programs. Yeah, every like, time. I love it's, that. It's so it's so good. We need to start. I'm gonna bring that back. <laughs> <laughs> He's bringing it back. He's making great records. Yeah. And we're gonna play the episode out with uh Turn My Heart Around. And that is the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, or wherever you are listening from did it. Thanks, we did it. Cool, that was easy. I don't want to talk about it. The same girl always gets me down. She don't give a fuck about me. Just knows how to turn my heart around. Even when she treats me bad, I like it. Here I go again, I'm Kathy's clown. Tried to keep my poor mouth shut about it But heaven knows I love the sound I saw you running around town I stuffed my cardiac fire Then you flashed me a smile Now my heart's a burning pile of general tired
fuck about the future. The future, yeah. Past haunts me when you are around. Crying on the playground like a loser. You got me up and shot me down. I don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about it. Same girl always gets me down. She don't give a fuck about me. Hey, just want to give a big shout out to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and for their longtime support of this thing. Don't forget to find that discount link in the episode notes or in my Instagram bio. 30% off your first year membership with DistroKid, helping you get your music in all the places it needs to be. Stay up, stay tuned.